Reading through the vision, which is the theme of our camp, I remembered something from many years ago. My family took a trip to Washington, D.C., and of all the things that we could see there, we decided to visit some of the buildings of the Smithsonian Institution. Smithsonian is a giant research and, um, what's the word, museum uh, place. So we visited the Museum of Natural History of the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. And what was the most fascinating to me there was its gem collection. The Smithsonian has a gigantic collection of gems. There's a few photos here. But anything you can think about, read about, as far as minerals and precious stones are there. They've spent millions of dollars of public money building this place and obtaining these specimens so that we could go and see them. Most of us would never normally get a chance to see precious stones, right? And let alone big pieces like they have there. Some of us might spend a lot of effort and time and money to maybe get a little one, you know? And sometimes people are convinced to perhaps wear that on themselves, maybe around their neck or maybe in their ear or sometimes even their nose. And, you know, just a... A little, little gem, a little something, you know, a little piece of a precious stone of this earth. And we spend all of that effort, and I was thinking about that, you know, most people never went there, and yet all of this expense, you know, tons and tons and thousands of cubic meters of concrete and steel and building materials were put together for a place to house a few precious stones. Now, if you think about that, just think about that for a minute. Our Heavenly Father has done things a little bit differently. Because where, we're talking about the two ways, right? In the the way to heaven, in the destination, He uses these precious stones that we call precious here on the earth as building materials. You know, in place of concrete, He uses precious stone. We're talking about, we're talking about, Veins of it running through the foundations of the New Jerusalem. And then, you know, you get a little stone and you you put it on a circle of gold and wear it on your finger. Well, guess what? That's like concrete and bitumen up in heaven. You know, he builds the whole place out of these precious materials. And here we all are on earth. We're running around looking for these little pieces of them and collecting them. And they're so, so precious. Are they really? Think about that perspective. And our Heavenly Father owns this whole world and all of those things and the whole universe. And He has many, many more treasures to share with us. And so, really, we're talking about two very different ways and two very different outlooks and perspectives of thinking about things. After we consider a few things today, I would like us to have a different perspective about what is the most valuable. Even in the New Jerusalem, there that's built out of gold and pearl and precious stones, what is actually the most valuable there. But just firstly, there's a few things that Jesus talks about the two ways. We want to consider a little bit of that, and then I have three questions for you. But I'll get to that in a minute. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says in 13 and 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. He says here that, in fact, 
the way to life is one that many people don't find, don't go in. And why is that? Why is it that it's, it's a way that people don't find or are not willing to enter? He calls the word here to describe this gate that leads to the narrow way. The word is straight. Now, what does straight mean? A little bit of a trick question because that word straight is not the same as straight as the shortest distance between two points. That word straight means it's, it's narrow, it's difficult. Why is the way to life so difficult? Why is it that the broad way which seems so easy, it says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Why is it that the broad way is so easy and the narrow way, the way to life, is so difficult? Jesus says something else in Matthew 19, 23 and 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why is it that the way is so narrow and so difficult to get to life? Why is the door so narrow? What is it that will not fit through that door? So all the things that we spend our time on in this world cannot fit through, cannot go through. That's why Jesus says it's very hard for a rich person. Why? Because someone who is focused, who is hungry, who is determined. You know, not everybody's like that. Not everyone is able to actually get out there and achieve amassing riches. There are those who do. There are those who try and fail. But most people are focused on getting further and further ahead. And so Jesus said, there are things that we spend our time on in this world. We spend our time and effort collecting things, but they don't fit through the door. And that's why it's difficult. So much so that, remember the young man that came to Jesus? And he said, Master, what shall I do? And Jesus questioned him on some things. And finally, they concluded that he kept all of the law. And what did Jesus finally say? There was just one thing for him to do. One thing to enter the kingdom. The things that you have, I want you to give those to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And what was his response? He says, he, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Do you think that one day he will regret that decision? I believe he will. When he understands the right perspective, he will regret that he made such a choice because he traded eternal life for a bit of concrete and bitumen. For a few of these little things that we collect here on earth that God builds a massive city out of and he, he traded all of that for this. The difference as well, as we talk about the two ways and the two crowns, that the crown that you were able to get here on this earth, the treasure that we have on earth, is a little like the prize they used to give in the races centuries ago. Do you know the predecessor of the Olympics that we have today? 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. So it says there, in a race, how many people can win a race? There's only one winner, and that's the way it used to be. And in this life, there are a few winners and many losers. That's always how it is, isn't it? There are usually only a few winners and more losers. But the race of eternal life 
how many can win? He says, so run that ye may obtain. If you run the race, you get the prize. If you go down that road, you receive the reward. You enter into eternal life. And so it is not limited to a few. So with those few thoughts, I would like to ask three important questions, and I want to actually go through them in reverse order of importance. And those three, number three is, who will walk with me in this road? Number two is, where am I going? And number one is, why am I here? And I'd like to examine these three things this morning. Who will walk with me? Where am I going? And why am I here? Now, first of all, who will walk with me is probably not what you think I'm going to say. Because I actually want to speak to young people right now. The reason is because it's in your youth that you make choices that put you on the path of life. Decisions that you make in your teens, in your early 20s, are decisions that put you down a road and often determine which of the paths you're on, the narrow way or the broad way. So the question, who will walk with me? Yes, the Lord will be with you when you walk in His way, but I'm actually thinking something a little more down to earth. Can you guess what that is? Who will walk with me? When I was in my early teens, I had a conversation with my brother, and I thought he promised... We made an agreement together. We would never get married. Later, he said, you know, I never said anything. He said, I never promised anything. You did all the talking. Oh, okay. (laughs) So we did both get married. But we also had these conversations about life. And there's a principle in life, in all decisions that we make, that we should look at as Christians. Matthew 6, verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So, we know how to do that. You get your first job. What do you say to your prospective employer when you get your first job? One important condition. What is it? Friday night and Saturdays, I don't work. All right? And that's important, and most of us were raised like that, so you understand this is how it is. And if I don't get that job, mom will still feed me till I find another one, right? So in some ways, now that can be tough and challenging to your faith, right? To a job that you really want and you might have a chance of not getting it or you might lose that job. That's a challenge of your faith. But you know, it doesn't touch really deep down in your heart generally, right? But when it comes to who am I going to spend my life with, now that touches your heart. That comes down to your deepest feelings And so often we forget, I know to put God first in, let's say, the the Ten Commandments and the Fourth Commandment, but when it comes to who am I going to spend my life with, I'm sorry, but I need to make that decision. You know, I need to actually be in control of that one, right? And it says, but seek first the kingdom of God to trust in Him. Well, we're not sure about that. It says in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Is that true of relationships, folks? Challenging, young people. Will the Lord direct your path if you trust in him? It says, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It should be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. So trusting in the Lord brings peace. We can trust him in everything. So I know the theory, right? But I tell you what. 
is God going to give me someone who's somebody that I really appreciate, that I'm attracted to, that I can love, or someone that's just good for me, you know, good for my character? What's he going to do if I trust in him? Can I afford to trust in the Lord when it comes to relationships? That's a big question. Yeah, there is a promise in Psalm 37 where it says, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord. And look what it says. He shall give thee what? He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Does God know what you desire? Some single young people here today. Some of you are thinking about it, and some of you aren't. Some of you are still in the stage that I was. I'm never going to get married. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through that. Some of you might be in the midst of a relationship. Some of you might be contemplating. Whatever stage you are, I hope you're at least going to listen. If you're like me when I wasn't interested, at least it goes in your mind and you're going to listen for later. Right? What is God going to do if you trust Him and you put Him first? When the question of who is going to walk the journey of life with me. Is that important? Is that an important consideration? That's a really, really important thing. Some people are nodding their heads who understand and found that out, right? It's a really, really important question. How many times do we stop and pray and ask God first? Ask our parents. Ask people that we trust. And is God going to take into consideration what I want? Is He going to give me somebody that I actually... I'm attracted to it, appreciate, or someone that's good for my character. Well, it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. I just want to tell you my experience as a young person. There was a time when I didn't trust in the Lord in these promises, and it just never really goes right. And I thank the Lord that He somehow put the brakes on me and I didn't make any irreversible decisions that I would regret later. And I learned, I, someone did a presentation, I, I got hold of these verses and I decided I would put Him to the test. And you know what? He answers those prayers. He fulfills those promises if you will trust in Him. So I can stand here as an example of someone who was going wrong choices, then decided to trust the Lord, and he does what he says here. And his way is always better. And so that is one of the things in deciding which way, which crown, you may not have thought about that I was going to talk about this in this camp, but for young people, this is a really, really, really important thing, that you and I put God first. That also includes something that for some of us can be a little uncomfortable. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Some of us are tempted to say, well, I can you know, have a friend, I can sort of bring him to the Lord, you know. Look, it's a bit risky, all right? We can, there's examples of times where that's, that's been okay for people. I don't recommend it, and so I always say that as a pastor, that I would encourage each of you that there are several commitments you make in life. One of them is to who you will spend your life with, your husband or wife. The other important commitment is a commitment you will make to God. Now, which one should I make first? We all know that, right? Sort of, if you think about it.
But really think about it, young people. My commitment to God needs to be first. And when I have made a commitment to Him, when I have taken my pledge to love Him and serve Him, by the way, how do you do that? How do you take a pledge to serve God? That's in baptism. When you, you make a public pledge. Look, when you get married, you have to make a public pledge. Did you know you can't get away without making a public pledge in marriage? You actually, to be properly married, you have to make a public pledge. Well, the same thing when you serve the Lord. You can't say, well, you know what? God knows my heart. That's true. But you know what? He asks you to confess His name. In the Bible, it says that, to confess me before men. That means to make a public pledge. And so I would maintain that you need to make that public pledge first. And then the Lord will lead you in the rest of the way. So, Few things, Testaments Volume 5, let woman give herself to Christ before giving herself to any earthly friend and enter into no relation which shall conflict with this. This was written to a lady who was about to make a decision which she might regret. And it was written, my sister, unless you would have a home where the shadows are never lifted, do not unite yourself with one who's an enemy of God. It's really, really important to make one commitment first and then trust the Lord to help you through the other commitment. He will do that. He will do that. He will... He will lead you to unite with someone who will fulfill all of your dreams because he loves you very much. Testimonies, volume 5 again, 364. Though the companion of your choice were in all respects worthy, which in that case it says which he is not, yet he has not accepted the truth for this time. He's an unbeliever and you're forbidden of heaven to unite yourself with him. And so there are many wonderful and good people out there who you may, I, we all get along with very well, but we must remember something that at some point, spiritual things will be called into question. And usually, the spiritual things come in when you have children, somehow. And the things which it was okay before, all of a sudden, I want my children raised like this. Okay, you go back to your roots. And those can become sources of conflict. So the fact is that the connection with God is number one, is most important. Does that mean because somebody got baptized and they joined the church, they're, um, they're um, what's the word? eminently qualified to be anyone's spouse. Is that what that means? Okay, there's a lot more to it, right? That's only step one. So I'm not saying that that's the only thing, but I am saying that's the most important thing, the step number one, for you to do for yourself. And Adventist Home says this, no one, this is why it's important to the path you're traveling and why I spend this, this number of minutes on this question, because it says in the Adventist Home, no one, can so effectually ruin a woman's happiness and usefulness and make her life a heart-sickening burden as her own husband. Do you know that? No one can put the shackles around you like your own spouse. And no one can do one hundredth part as much to chill the hopes and aspirations of a man, to paralyze his energies and ruin his influence and prospects, as his own wife. Very, very important. Now, do you think the converse is true? Absolutely. It, to, being together, being on the same page, you are an encouragement, a support, and a strength to each other. And together, you are way more powerful than you were apart in the fear of the Lord. So it's just a really, really important choice. So it finishes saying this, it is from the marriage hour that many men and women date their success or failure in this life and their hopes of the future life. As you are considering the way that you're going, I'm talking to those who aren't married, those who are young and single, still got your life in front of you. Remember that this will actually be a very important step 
in where you're going from here on out. And so you need to have that done in the fear of the Lord. Talking to you. So remember that. Trust in the Lord. And He will direct your paths. And I'm looking forward to some weddings coming up. I'm sure there will be some more. And we always enjoy them. And I want to smile. And weddings are always happy. But I want to be sure that it's not just the first day that's happy, but it's every day after that. That no matter what happens, that you're together in in the Lord. So that's question number one. Who's going to walk with me? Just a little note to those who already were married. You know, we've gone through ups and downs. There's different situations and things going on. The Lord does walk with all of us, no matter what happens. So I was talking to the single people just before, especially. All right. Now, question number two is, where am I going? So that's question number three. Now, number two, where am I going? It was actually mentioned in the comments of the before we started the lesson this morning. Remember the verse, Isaiah 64? For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor, neither hath the eye seen, O God, besides thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Do we have any idea what God has prepared for us? Okay, a little bit. It's the, it's the, it's the phrase we use, we have no idea. Well, we have some idea. But it says that we have not heard, perceived, or seen what God has prepared. So we really don't know what is, what is in front of us. Not only that, but the little bit that we do have, often what happens? Day-to-day life, you have things that you're doing, you get the things that are in front of us that we can see. Have you ever found yourself losing your heavenly perspective? I have. And then something happens, or you see something, or you read something, and you sort of remember that there's a higher perspective going on here. We get focused in the things of this world, as it says in the, the testimony there about the two groups. One was for the heavenly crown, one for the earthly crown, and they're absorbed in this. And we get absorbed in this, and we forget to look up and see what's up above. Forget to see what's in the heavenly crown, because we, haven't, we have no idea, we haven't seen. And the little bit that we have, we often lose that perspective. But you know, in Hebrews 11, it talks about all the people of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, that through the years, through the generations, have kept their heavenly perspective. It says in Hebrews 11 from 13 to 16, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Did they actually get to see it? No, so even they, by faith, it's the same with us. We haven't seen, but they see by faith. They see because it's been promised. They keep that perspective. Not having received the promises, but having seen them far off, were persuaded of them and embraced them. And notice this, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. There was one thing that they always kept in mind. What was it? On the earth, I live here, but guess what? I'm going somewhere else. I'm on my way through. Does that affect your choices? If, you, if this is not my home, I'm going somewhere else, I'm a pilgrim, does that affect what I do? We notice that because we have known for some time that we're actually shifting from Victoria to New South Wales. Hasn't happened yet. But that's affecting our choices because we're about to move house. Do you think I want to buy extra stuff? Think oh, I can buy that? Oh, no, I'm going to have to pack and move that thing. I don't want that. When you know I'm just passing through, it affects what you do, doesn't it? It affects the plans that you make and the things that you do. 
15 and 16 says, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. What city is that, by the way? That's that one with veins of precious stones in the foundation, with gold on the streets and pearls on the gates. He's prepared for them that city. And so it says that on the earth, they, just, they were just passing through. Passing through. I have a question here. What choice Lot made? Do you remember the separation of Abraham and Lot? They decided which way to go. And Lot... Do you notice what he did? He lost his heavenly perspective because it says he chose all the plain of Jordan. It was actually really good for farming. Okay, it, was, it was a fertile, luscious place. Lot chose all the plain of Jordan. He journeys east. It says they separated themselves one from the other. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. Do you think Lot regretted that decision? So there's a part of, and again, I want to get a little bit practical here for a minute. In a consideration of where am I going, there, it should affect my choices. And so there's some counsels we, 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 um, we're given that we learn from Lot. It says that he did not think of the character of those, he did not think of the character of those who he dwelt where he was choosing his home. Lot was not thinking about the environment. He was thinking about getting ahead. It says he was ambitious for riches. The inhabitants of that beautiful valley were exceedingly wicked, but nevertheless Lot placed himself among them without considering what the associations would be to him and his family religiously. So he made a decision about where they were going to live and what was the number one priority? It was to build up his wealth. That was number one. Is that a good idea? That's number one when I make a decision about what I'm going to do in life, about where I'm going to live. Is that a good idea? That number one is building wealth? So that has some practical consequences. Adventist home again. I'm instructed by the Lord to warn our people not to flock to the cities to find homes for their families. To fathers and mothers, I'm instructed to say, fail not to keep your children within your own premises. So what happens? What happens on the street? What do you learn out on the streets? Child, and you grow up and you get out on the street, and what do you learn there? What wonderful, blessed, heavenly perspectives do you learn out from the neighborhood kids? And so it's really, really important that our environment is part of our decision-making. It's really important. There's a promise here. If, if you wish to, to, to take this promise and test it, God will prove that it's true. Right? He's not going to force you to do this, but it says in the Adventist home, the parents can, can, can secure small homes in the country with land for cultivation, where they can have orchards and where they can raise vegetables and small fruits. God will help His people to find such homes outside the cities. Now, when this was written, we didn't understand why it was so important. Okay, we didn't understand, you know, why do I need to have an orchard? Why should I raise vegetables? I can get them good quality down at Woolies. Right? We didn't understand that. And even today, a lot of us don't understand, but those who struggle with their health would understand, you know, with trying to get what's really, really good. You understand, you can't just run down to the shop and buy good things. So there was, a, there was a reason for that. And the point is that God will fulfill that promise. And I can only say that because He did. We shifted to Melbourne. We couldn't find anything around Melbourne. 
you know, what can we do? And there was a real estate agent that almost had us for this house next to the golf course. And then we said, no, we, we asked God to be our agent and he found us something. So he made it possible for us to have a, a little place where we could be in an environment kind of like the Garden of Eden, you know, that God put his first people into nature. So the Lord will do that for his people if we put him to the test. And that's not about the time of trouble. I've often looked at, you know, we talk about, well, one day we have to get out of the city. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about the environment in which, especially that you raise children, especially. Well, we have to work the cities. Look at this. Evangelism says, all that Lot and his family did in Sodom could have been done by them, even if they had lived in a place some distance away from the city. Enoch walked with God, and yet he did not live in the midst of any city polluted with every kind of violence and wickedness, as did Lot and Sodom. Where did Enoch live? He lived up in the hills, and he would go down, he would spend a lot of time among people, but what would he do? He had enough, he'd go back to the hills, he'd spend time with God to recharge. So that's really important. And there are counsels about that. I just thought that that's another practical thing, because we talk about not chasing the world and things, but... When we have a heavenly perspective, it should affect our choices. And so these are things that we have to talk about. Notice in Hebrews 11 again, 9 and 10, By faith Abraham sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Just something interesting about this. What kind of building did Abraham live in? It's a tabernacle called, or a tent. Why was that so significant? He lived in a tent. It's not a permanent structure. Now, I'm not saying we all need to live in tents, all right? But it says that he looked for a city, and what kind of structure is it? It has what? It has foundations. What does that mean? It's permanent. So here, I have no permanent home. And so I believe that's the thing, the question of where am I going in this world, then I need to understand I am not here for long. It is not my permanent home. You know, we're not guaranteed to live tomorrow. Some of us are just at a funeral last week, very unexpected, very sad. And there's two people who had plans for the future. They had a lot of plans going forward. And we had to bury them both. Their life is done. We're not here for long. We live in a tabernacle. There's no permanent foundation. Where am I going is the question for today. The choices I make today is important to where I'm going. So Patriarchs and Prophets says, We must dwell as pilgrims and strangers here if we would gain a better country that is in heavenly. Those who are children of Abraham will be seeking the city which he looked for, whose builder and maker is God. So what I find, aside from some of the practical things I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, what I find is really, really important. What happens? Why is it that we often lose our heavenly perspective? Why is it we often lose touch with the heavenly reality? It's, there's distractions, right? So our mind is full of what? Things of the earth, and that's when we lose. And so what can help us keep the heavenly perspective? Declutter your brain, your life, your mind, everything. That's right. So what do I need to be sure to do every day? 
on a daily basis, what do I need to do? So I need to spend some time in prayer, looking to Jesus, thinking and meditating about Him. How about feed your mind with spiritual things, some spiritual food to keep the connection with what's above, to make sure that I, I keep my, my bigger picture, my heavenly perspective. That's really important. Where am I going? To remember every day, I'm actually not building a permanent home here. I'm on my way somewhere else. And that will affect our decisions. So who am I going to walk with, young people? Where am I going? These are really important questions. But you know, the number one, I think the number one is not about the destination where we're going. We often think of heaven and that we're going to have a crown in heaven and it's going to be a, we're going to have a beautiful mansion there in the city. And we look forward to the fruit of the tree of life and we look forward to flying. Remember all the things we mentioned this morning in Sabbath school? It will mention all the things we would like to do. And I was listening for one. Because there's so many things about heaven. But you know, this, is pro this will be a little, more, a little more real for those of us who married cross continents. So few of us have done that, right? You marry cross continent. And that's one thing, we got all kinds of marriage advice when we got married, but that's one thing nobody talked about. When you marry from two different places, do you know, how, you know how hard that is? Someone has to say goodbye. Right? Someone has to say goodbye. Or maybe both sides, you know, depending on where you end up. So you know what? You know what I'm looking forward to in heaven? There's no more goodbye. Even if you're in the far-flung reaches of the universe doing something, guess what happens every Sabbath? We're all back together. It's like a big conference every single week. Isn't that wonderful? That's just wonderful. You know why? I want to spend the last few minutes showing you a concept that is the most important thing, the question of why are we here? Well, Revelation 4.11 says why we were created. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So all things, including us, you and me, were created for what? For God's pleasure. And I first read that, and I thought, oh, okay, we're just, you know, made for His pleasure because He just wanted to create some beings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then I realized something when I had children. As a parent, what makes you happy? How can you, you know, this, this screaming baby, and you realize it's kind of stinky around the back, and so you ha with great joy, you clean up this terrible mess, all right? Why do you do that with such great joy and pleasure as a parent? You know, I just love this. I, I want to get the hazmat suit out and the breathing apparatus, you know, because I'm going oh, to change this nappy, right? But you do it with joy. Why? Because at the end, what do you have? Happy baby. Baby's happy. You're happy. So you do that with joy. We are created for God's pleasure. What's His pleasure? He's the greatest parent in the universe. His pleasure is not something, well, I'm just going to play with these little, you know, I'm going to play little, a little um, st strategy game with my little creations here. No, 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 no. He loves us. He, we are His children. And His greatest joy is to see us happy. Look at this, Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What's His pleasure? He wants you to give you that city up there. He wants to give you the kingdom. He loves you. And how did He prove it? 
when we disobeyed and walked away, what was he willing to do? There was Jesus. Jesus was number one there. He came, he left everything, and he came to this world to be a poor tradesperson who walked through this earth, who had lots of trials and troubles, walked on his two feet in his sandals, wore out sandals on the roads around Judea because he loves us, and went to the cross. It says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. His pleasure is to see you happy. And we just blew it. And so he sent Jesus to sacrifice himself and to die. What made Jesus willing to give everything, to give all of heaven? What made him willing to do that? Hebrews 12 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus go through all that he did? the temptation, the humiliation, and finally to die as a criminal. Why did he do that? There was joy in his heart. How could he have joy? Isaiah 53 says, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. What is it that gave Jesus joy? Did you know he looked down through the centuries and he saw you? He saw your face and he said, that is my child and I love them and I have a place for them in my kingdom. He wanted you to be there and he knew this was the way and that was his joy. That's what made him go through all that he did. It was for you that he hung on the cross. So what does he want us to do? He's done all that, and he said something to his disciples. He sent them out and he said, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. What is the answer to the question of why we are here? Why are we here? We are here... To give. In fact, it says in Testimonies, Volume 4 and 473, the gold and the silver are the Lord's. Remember, we were talking about those precious treasures that people are chasing. They belong to God, and He could rain them from heaven if He chose. He has so much. Remember, it's concrete and bitumen. He's got plenty. He could rain them from heaven, but instead of this, He has made man His steward, entrusting him with means not to be hoarded, but to be used in benefiting others. He thus makes man the medium through which to distribute his blessings on earth. Now, if you read that vision that the theme is based on, what are people doing? They're going to get the treasure, and what are they doing to other people? As they're going there, it's on your, it's on your program, you can see, you know. You see some bodies laying down on the little drawing. You know, in order to get ahead, what do people often do? Trample, tread on other people. Is that why we're here? Are we here for a few measly bits of stone to tread on other people? We're actually here to bless other people. God's not raining gold from heaven and silver from heaven, but He gave you something. He gave you something, and what's that for? It's to give to somebody else, to bless other people. 
says God planned the system of beneficence in order that man might become, like his creator, benevolent and unselfish in character, and finally be a partaker with him of the eternal glorious reward. You see, it says we are created for God's pleasure. What is his pleasure, actually? What is his pleasure? His pleasure is to give. And that's how heaven works. And so this world is working about getting. It's all about me, me, trampling and treading on other people to get a few things for me. Heaven is the opposite. Heaven is about giving. Can you see how you can't really be on both roads at the same time? You really can't be in both places at the same time. You have to choose today, is it going to be about me, or I will, will I be on heaven's side? Will, will I be a channel for blessing others? Now somehow, all of us actually somehow know that one way is better. What do people do when they're dissatisfied and they want to achieve something in their life? They want to make a difference. What do they often do? They go and volunteer. Because you volunteer and you get nothing out of it. Except there's some kind of sense that this is a better way. Isn't that right? People who amass giant fortunes, the richest people in the world, what do they do? They turn around, they set up foundations to give it away. Why? Because they recognize this is not the point in life. Some of them do anyway. So if you'll get on God's side, there's a promise that he makes in Romans 8:28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If you will get into the narrow way, you can't take a lot of these possessions of earth with you. There's some sacrifices to be made. But you know what? Everything works together for good to those who love God. Why? Because in Philippians 2:13, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Why are we here? Did you know that God has a plan for you? Have you ever made a mission statement for yourself? Have you ever written down, what is my mission statement? Does anybody here have a written mission statement? Ever done that? To understand for yourself, what is your mission on the earth? You need to do that. We read in Christ's Object Lessons that not more surely is the place prepared for us in the heavenly mansions than is the special place designated on earth where we are to work for God. Did you know, that's Christ Object Lessons 326-327, did you know God has a place for you? Just like He's got a place for you waiting with your name on it in the heavenly city, He has a place for you on this earth. He has a work for you to do. He has something in mind for you. It's your mission. So why are you here? Why am I here? I think is actually the most important question. Why am I here? You know, there was who's walking with me, where am I going, but why am I here? What am I doing here? We could think we're going to be on the way to heaven because heaven is actually a superior place to earth and I want to get there because that's going to be a better thing. It's not about that. Being connected with heaven, it's about the relationships. So I want to take a minute just to say something. In my personal mission statement, there are several things, but one line in there says that it's part of my mission to give knowledge and experiences to people so that they can fulfill their mission. And I accepted to be in charge of Elam Missionary College because that's part of Elam Missionary College's mission, to give knowledge and experiences so that you can fulfill your mission in life. 
I counted this morning, I think there's at least six people that have gone to our four-month training program here present in the room, at least six, if not more. But there's, as I look around, there's still more than six that need to go and need to come. You're smiling, the ones that went through, right? You know, it's challenging, but our mission is to help you with knowledge and experience to fulfill your mission, whatever that is, whatever God has for you in your life. So if you haven't made it, considered that, grab the URL here. Tap into your smartphone, serm.org.au slash emc, and check it out. Enrollments actually close one month from tomorrow. So there's very little time. I would encourage you young people to consider taking four months of your life and spending it in missionary training. And whatever your calling is, whatever the mission that God has for you, I believe that this will be something really important, particularly when we learn how to study and how to understand the principles of our faith and how to explain them to other people, that's really, really important no matter what you're going to do in life. Wherever you're going to go, I have found that the one thing I took from my missionary training was that. If I forgot everything else, when I'm out all on my own and someone hits me with a question, how do I know what's truth? How do I know what I believe? And how do I share my faith? So that's been really important. But I want to finish up today just with one more verse. And that's Malachi chapter 3 and verse 17. Because as we look at the two paths and the two crowns, as we discussed who am I going to walk with, where am I, what am I, where am I headed, and why am I here, those were really important questions. And I come back to what is the most important thing about the heavenly treasure? Because it says that we get to heaven, we're going to receive a crown. Isn't that wonderful? Tell me something. What makes the value of the crown in heaven? Jesus makes the value, absolutely. Through his, through his blood, through His grace, all things are done. What, is every crown the same? What makes a difference? There's stars in the crown, that's right. There's little gems there, right? Well, what's that, what's that about? What makes the gems, the stars in the crown? What's the important treasure? Every gem, every star represents someone. So think about it. What's the real treasure? Malachi 3.17 says, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth them. Who is the treasure? People. People are the treasure. And so here we are on the earth, treading upon other people, ignoring other people. The way of the world is, I am number one, I come first. And yet heaven's treasure is, is not these things, all these temporary pleasures and, and worthless bits of objects and things that we collect here on the earth and we spend all our time with. Heaven's treasure is you. Heaven's treasure is the person next to you. Heaven's treasure is the person down the street here. That's the treasure of heaven. That's the, the value, the reason that Jesus came and He gave His life. It was for you. It was for people. And that's what He wants. You know, He left the holy city with all its riches and treasures. That was nothing. He wants to fill that. You know, I said at the beginning, we built the Smithsonian Institution out of concrete and steel so we could find a few of these little gems to stick inside and say how precious they are. And guess what God has done? He's built a whole city out of that stuff. 
because he wants to put something precious inside. Guess what it is? It's people. You want to miss out on that? You're going to trade that away for some worthless bits of this earth? Are you really serious? So as we think about the way we've been in today, whether you've started in the way, whether you haven't started the way yet, you haven't started walking down the path, or whether you have and you've gotten distracted from the heavenly perspective, things got you discouraged and down, or whether it's just tough going day to day to remember that there's something better to look forward to because life is full of so many hardships and trials. Whatever our circumstance, let's remember that Jesus is waiting to get you back. He's waiting to get us there. The people are the treasure of heaven, and He doesn't want anyone to be lost. So let's choose the right way. Walk with Him. And may each of us find our place there in that beautiful city. Amen. As we close, I'd like us to sing number 585. There's a, there's a question in this song I believe you know very well. 585, I am thinking today, the chorus is, Will there be any stars in my crown? That's right. Oh, yes, thank you, Sister Irene. The qu- many stars, not any. Yes, that's right. Will there be many stars? That's right. So 585. 585. Shall we stand and sing?